Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another serving of Business Soup Talk Radio. If it's in business, it's Business Soup. I'm your host, John Dibavoise. What does artificial intelligence mean to the small business owner, and what does it hold for our future? From the book, Work in the Age of Robots, our guest, Mark Mills, talks about the past, the present, and the future of artificial intelligence and how it's going to be impacting us, the small business owner. Don't worry, folks. Robots are not going to take over the world just yet. Greetings, Mark. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Mark, you have been involved in small business and working between small and large business, and you came up with this book, Work in the Age of Robots. How did this evolve into a book that you felt was necessary to share with not only my audience, but the audience of the world through the eyes of the gorilla? The short answer is the the constant drumbeat in the popular media and a good deal from the academic domains and the punditocracy with the claim that robots and artificial intelligence are on the verge of eliminating most, if not all, work. And that constant thread, in fact, there's more than a dozen respected studies that are all saying various forms of the same thing, that in effect, this time is different. In other words, the technologies that have made labor saving the central feature of a growing economy for a thousand years. The technologies this time are different because instead of creating more work, which is what's happened for a thousand years, this time they're going to eliminate work. That idea, which is very popular, is fundamentally so silly that one has to write about it. That's what I did. Of course, I should stipulate it's a short book. This particular type of book series that the, the publisher encounter has is about one third the length of a standard book with the intention that people might actually pick it up and read it because it's, it's, it's a single read on a short flight. Well, you know what? You're right, because you were nice enough to send me your book, and I'm going, wow, this is an easy read. But you know what you used? I, I don't recall seeing any of your $10 words that you just used, uh, pundendocracy. Or, <laughs> that's a $10 word up there, you know? So. <laughs> that one will cost you $25 right there, <laughs> about, about twice the price of the book. Essentially, history has demonstrated that when it comes to these technological advancements, that most forecasters get both the what and the when wrong. And out of Consumer Electronics Show, for those in my audience that have been there, good for you. For those who haven't, go. It is the big boy toy box, and it happens around the first week of the new year. And this is where you see the evolution of things to come. This is where I think Schwarzenegger gets his ideas is for his over-the-top type of graphics on his movies. But you see things that you thought, wow, that's really cool, like the big flat-screen TVs that came out a decade ago. I saw them first at Consumer Electronics Show. One of the things that I've noticed is virtual reality. The gaming industry has taken it first that I noticed out at Consumer Electronics Show, but now it's expanding into other areas and into small business. Mark, where do you see AI and the use of that into robotics implemented for the use in small business? You put your finger on two things which are, are important, and, and, I, and I agree with you uh, in the sense that the CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, is a great way to see the tip of the spear, if you like, on technologies that are coming 
for, for many technologies, not all. I'll tell you where I, where I go hunting uh, in a second, but you see them there because consumers in a weird way will tolerate a far less reliable product than the industrial market for obvious reasons. If you're in the industrial environment, you're in a business environment, your tool has to work for a long time. It has to be very cost effective. When it's a toy, not to trivialize toys, because the entertainment industry is a, is a trillion-dollar industry, people are more quixotic and, and tolerable of things that might break or you have to work hard at. So it's a great place to see early technologies like virtual reality and augmented reality. This is what the combination of the tools that let you augment reality or virtualize reality with artificial intelligence, which is a supercomputer in the cloud. Those two things together, essentially, to use the popular word now, upskill labor. Or somebody who doesn't have a particularly deep knowledge about a subject matter that you care about as an employer, your employee now can use tools, virtual reality, augmented reality, and supercomputing to seamlessly, easily, almost trivially learn, do things, understand things, have additional skills in real time. Give an example. If you're trying to wire a house, you're a small electrical business, and you come up with a tough problem and you want to solve that problem. And by the way, Boeing already does this with aircraft. If you have real-time wireless connectivity, it's called cell phone, if you have that and you really had useful augmented reality and useful artificial intelligence, by useful I mean you can verbally address it much more easily than you could, say, Siri and Alexa. Uh, if you're a, you know, a work-a-day electrician and you come up with a tough problem, you want to be able to say, look, how do I solve this problem? And you look at the problem, and your phone looks at the problem with you in real time. Can in real time in the cloud, the supercomputer can look for other comparable problems and project onto the problem in the real space in front of you virtually what you might do to fix that or how you would fix it, both visually or auditorially. And it even walk you through the solution step by step. That kind of virtualization of skills and skill support from the cloud is now real. And it's very difficult to do at the level I'm describing so far. It's expensive, but we're doing that for the military already. We're doing that in some medical domains. They said Boeing assists the technicians that lay the cables in the aircraft as they build them through augmented reality like that. So those things are coming as they get cheap, and you know they'll get cheap because we're talking IT here. As they get cheap, they get democratized and they get become available not just to the Boeings of the world or to expensive medical procedures or to the military. They become available to everybody, small businesses. And small businesses have that advantage that they can then now compete with the Boeings, right, in terms of skill set, in terms of uh, quality control, in, in terms of having the latest skills, the latest knowledge. So I, I see the – go back to the 1970s. In the 1970s, there were computers – in the world, there were thousands and thousands of mainframes being sold annually. Computers then allowed large businesses, banks and universities, uh, large GE-type companies, the BPs and Exxons of the world, they could use computers to do things that small businesses couldn't because you couldn't afford a mainframe. Everybody got a computer, right, within about another 15 to 20 years. Augmented reality will follow the same trajectory for the same kind of reasons because it's fundamentally an information tool. So the kinds of phenomenal augmented reality that you see in Microsoft's HoloLens, that if your listeners have never Googled up and looked at on the web what Microsoft is doing, what, what they call HoloLens, you obviously know they stole the name from Star Trek and the Holodeck, right? <laughs> it's, it's good, good for them. But HoloLens is a uh, augmented reality tool that's being used in military and medicine in the high-end areas, which allows, for example, doctors to see a very realistic life-size model of an organ 
uh, which they're about to perform surgery and to begin to sort of sink and rotate and, and literally almost touch that organ suspended in space in front of them as they look at thinking about what the problem is. And, and remember, the organ has been imaged by a high-resolution MRI machine. So now you're looking at this part of your body as a physician and thinking about how you're going to perform the surgery before you actually perform a cut. And that's a very powerful tool. In fact, it's already been used for some complex surgeries uh, to think about how to you know, solve a problem before you actually undertake the problem. So imagine that kind of capability for any business, any retail operation, but inexpensive and as accessible as your smartphone. That's not going to happen tomorrow, but it's going to certainly happen in the lifetime of all, almost everybody listening. You make an excellent point in that this isn't so much an effort to eliminate the workforce. It's more of a workplace revolution where you're empowering technology and the robotics and artificial intelligence is empowering the entrepreneurs on how they can address a single issue without having to go out and invent the product. They can utilize that technology that is available to them into their specific use or their need in their small business. And there's tremendous opportunity for an entrepreneur to make a fortune just using somebody else's idea in a different capability to make a job easier to do, streamline it, and have massive duplication of one effort. And we're speaking with Mark Mills, who is the author of Work in the Age of Robots. As to the implementation of this technology, where do you see some of the forthcoming implementations occurring? Is it going to be medical, aviation, transportation? What are some of the low-hanging fruit in the use of robots in this technology? And of course, that's the right question. If you're an entrepreneur, you're, let's say you're the inventor, you want to know who's going to buy your product first. And if you're a user, you want to know when the product, whether it's artificial intelligence or a physical robot, are going to be available. But let me make another point quickly, because this is relevant to the answer to the question, that what we're really talking about are cobots. It's a phrase created by a couple of Northwestern professors at Colgate College 20 years ago. Their idea, which is being realized and how the world is really operating, is that the most valuable robots are not robots that replace people. They're robots that collaborate and work with people, amplify them. So they call the cobots. It turns out a cobot's a little harder to build. So a virtual cobot, of course, is a thing like Siri or Alexa, right? Google Voice. Those things are essentially cobots. You can ask questions in a natural language and learn something, and the better they get, the easier they'll be as cobots, whether it's a skill-based question or whether it's just an operational question. If somebody who's working in retail and they want to get the answer to a question related to inventory, wouldn't it be nice not to have to type in a keyboard? You simply ask the virtual assistant. So the intelligent virtual assistant, the IVA, is a consumer product, which is what the Alexa is. The cobot that's physical which is the one that fascinates people the most, I think, is the assembly line product, let's say, or it's the, we'll go back to the electrician or the plumber. When I was young, I worked in construction. You can think, how many times did you want a third hand, right? I mean, it's, it's you're doing a task and you just don't have enough hands to do it and you get somebody else to help you. A cobot is literally the third hand. In fact, one of the cobot inventors has made a product that looks like a third hand that for a certain kind of task you physically wear. You strap it on, it looks like a compliant prosthetic hand on an arm that learns the task. You literally teach your third hand the task you're doing. Let's, it's, you know, lifting up a pipe and you need an extra hand to hold it while you're welding. That kind of product sounds sort of crazy, but it's actually real. It's a cobot kind of product. 
as those things become cheaper and they're becoming cheaper quickly and easy to use, that means it's the obvious. If you're a business in the construction trades, you don't fire people. It means instead of hiring you know, three people, you might hire two people. Okay? So you look at this, and we have the classic phenomenon that's gone on, as we talked about earlier, for hundreds of years. The net benefits the economy and to your business is that you're more productive, you're making more money, you're hiring more people. But you aren't hiring exactly the same number of people per task. The thing that we always want, if you're a business owner, if you're an economist talking about the economy, you always want to have fewer labor hours consumed to produce a specific product or service. That's the goal. And that's what automation is always about. That's still the goal. But the effect of that goal is that businesses become more profitable. When you become more profitable, you grow. And you do something that I consider unintentional consequence of a growing small business. The unintentional consequence is you hire more people. Now, small businesses don't mean to hire more people. Like, they hire them because they have to, if you think about it. If you grow, you need people. Big businesses have the opposite uh, dynamic. Big businesses, their primary goal is, is to fire people because they're already big and they're trying to cut costs by reducing the number of people. That's why, as you well know, small businesses are considered the engine of growth for jobs. It's not because they're more moral in a sense. It's because, <laughs> being slightly facetious, they have no choice. If you grow, even if you have cobots and intelligent virtual assistants, you'll still need people. So you grow faster if you have more productive tools. Saying that you have more productive tools is a direct synonym for using more automation. Well, and as I use all the time in my statements that there's nothing in our life that doesn't have a small business, even the air that we breathe. Robots are not going to take the place of the HVAC, the heating and air conditioning units, the service techs. They're not going to be climbing up the ladders and servicing the air conditioners anytime soon. So this type of technology I'm seeing implemented in one of my segments of restaurants. Being able to have artificial intelligence and robots in the restaurant business has been very effective, particularly when it comes to the financial aspects. Inventory, tracking your inventory, making sure it's not walking out the door, being able to do a cost analysis on the fly of what every serving costs. It's fascinating what I see in companies that are pitching me and the angel groups that I'm involved with. And it's all based upon artificial intelligence. And you can't have a robot without artificial intelligence. You're exactly right. So, so very, very simplistic automated machines uh, from the early days of automation didn't have what we call artificial intelligence. You automate a highly repetitive task. What you're describing are these uh, more difficult and more complex and sometimes amorphous tasks. You know, not just how much stuff is in inventory, but what you want your artificial intelligence systems to do is to do what Google Maps does, which is effectively look forward in time based on history and make a guess at when traffic is going to increase in your restaurant. You have a lot of data on that. The intelligent virtual assistant, the AI, can make a prediction based on your personal business's history as well as what's going on geographically with respect to the weather because there's weather correlations with the restaurants. It can look at other events, which are considered the technical term would be orthogonal events. Like there's, there's a conference in town that will draw people away or attract people to your restaurant. Those data are all available in the cloud. An intelligent virtual assistant, AI, would look at all that and inform you, your specific business, where you are in your city, that you should probably expect a little surge in traffic or a little fall off in traffic, which would allow you to decide whether to bring in extra help that day or not have them come in. Those are all exactly what I'm sure you're seeing. The other part 
the physical side, right? The, the physical delivery of the food stuff, the cleaning of, of the equipment, those things also started to get semi-automated. Turns out they're much more difficult. I mean, was I right in my book, the, the idea that we're going to have Terminator-type robots walking around doing physical labor in the near future is just silly because not that it won't ever happen. We, we clearly now have in sight the classic Terminator kind of robot. Engineers call that the anthropomorphic robot, right? The walking, talking machine that looks sort of quasi-human. You've probably seen YouTube videos of some extremely clever and, and uh, sort of spookily realistic, you know, walking robots. They do exist, but they are very difficult to make. They cost millions of dollars each, and they are not amenable to very rapid cost reductions like a, a, a virtual robot, a piece of software, because just like a car, they're made up of a lot of very complex components. So cars don't get cheaper fast. They get better, but they cost about the same. They've gotten cheaper over the last century, but not cheaper in the same way that computers have gotten cheaper. So the, the idea that suddenly in the near future, physical robots that could replace people from doing what you described, climbing up a ladder to repair an HVAC system, that that person would be replaced by a robot, just silly. Ed, we, you know, we talk about the implementation of this, and one of the first utilizations of technology that I came up with wasn't the reinvention of a wheel. It was just putting a couple spokes in that wheel. And for my audience out there, if you're in a business, if you're an entrepreneur, you own a business, and there's an aspect of it where you see there's a duplication of effort. I hate duplication of effort. Having to take that same information from one page and cut and paste or type it in a second or third time, as we often so do when we're doing our taxes, I hate duplication of effort. If you are a business owner and you are doing that, look at this subject of artificial intelligence, about robots perhaps, and think about how could something in the realm of artificial intelligence, automation, make your job easier. If it makes your job easier, there are thousands of other businesses out there that are likely to be able to adapt to your idea. I did it. I did it before the internet ever came up. I didn't even know what the internet was when I developed what became an early internet company. And I mistakenly sold that business, which led me to this radio program to tell you about all the trials and tribulations I went through to share that information so you don't make the same mistakes I made. But I share the experts, such as our guest Mark Mills, on work in the age of robots. Mark, as I talked off air... The technology of some aspects still use old school. One of my great ancestors invented the cotton gin, Eli Whitney. I had nothing to do with that, but that great invention was still powered by a horse drawn cart. It's not always that the technology takes over. It assists you. And in the case of the cotton gin, it was a horse-drawn wagon that created the cotton gin that helped create the technology that empowered the South to create more cotton. How do you see the next generation of the robots and perhaps in the next two to three years, where do you see the biggest insurgent of this technology occurring? The irony is probably agriculture. It's already happening, just like the cotton gin. Uh, We've been trying to automate agriculture, just like your great ancestor, for a very long time, because we really do want to take the labor per unit of food out of production. You really would rather have the labor in the restaurant than in the fields. I mean, it's just the human beings have wanted to do that for, for centuries. So the equivalent of the cotton gins uh, are showing up in the agricultural fields of uh, pickers. You know, it's been one of the most difficult tasks for a physical robot 
is picking fruits, you know, vegetables that you can't you can't damage when you pick them. So there are now uh, grape and uh, fruit pickers, robots that can run down the aisles, you know, rows rather of the field and do picking. Now you could say, well, that eliminates labor uh, for the people who are the hand pickers. That's true. That's what Eli Whitney wanted to do. And will that uh, reduce the labor in the uh, fields? Yes, of course it will. So the number of people who work in uh, farming today, which is low, will continue to decline. We're already seeing this on the information side where the kinds of tools you have as a farmer, the information tools that can use a combination of sensors, sensors that are increasingly becoming literally dust. You could imagine now making sensors that are so inexpensive that you dust them with the fertilizer from a drone onto the field and that those sensors now can determine the extent to which you should add more or not add more fertilizer or what you should be doing to deal with uh, blight. And that form of information automation is now happening in the farm fields. The other place we expect to see it sooner rather than later, of course, is a good example would be in the infrastructure of retail, which is being accelerated by Amazon Prime, if you like, and everybody that competes with it, which is another way of saying the warehouse. Warehouses, if you follow this stuff in the business domain, the number of square feet of warehouses in the world has been exploding. And is exploding not just because people are buying more stuff per se, but because the nature of distribution, which online is promoting, is increasing the need for warehousing. Amazon has been one of the pioneers at automating the warehouse with robots. Physical robots look like turtles. It's a company they bought about 10 years ago called Kiva Systems. It looks like an um, automated turtle that picks up racks of goods and moves them around the warehouse. What Amazon has discovered is that you can um, have fewer people in the warehouse. But Amazon would also report in their quarterly earnings report that their total employee count has been rising constantly for a decade, including in warehouses. What they've done is they've made warehousing so cost efficient that you get free shipping. That's the effect of that. So they've employed more people and more productive and reduced the cost of acquiring goods by direct shipment. And let me add an interesting wrinkle to this for small businesses. For those who have not followed this trend, both UPS and Amazon, because of the sort of the supply chain efficacy they have, are working with small businesses to help small businesses either use that warehouse capability or physically, literally physically locate manufacturing and assembly plants for boutique businesses inside the warehouses. So what UPS does and Amazon, and I think FedEx does it now too, is they would tell a small business, look, we're really good at supply chain. You're really good as a small businessman at innovating or businesswoman and building a boutique custom product puts that manufacturing operation literally inside our uh, supply chain hub in a warehouse and you form a partnership. They don't buy your business. You just locate there, take advantage of the infrastructure that the robots create. And one day, I think the robots will get good enough that you won't have to locate inside the warehouse. That's possible. But basically, these kinds of economies of scale of automation bringing to farming and warehousing benefit small businesses. That's what allows the to continue this sort of thesis of where small businesses benefit, that's what allows boutique farming to function. If the kind of automation that makes it cheap to run a large, uh, to run a farm requires you to be a large business because the equipment is huge and expensive, does it help the small farmer? The kind of automation we're talking about, the kind of robot pickers, the kind of uh, drones for, for monitoring the, the crop health or monitoring cattle, the kind of sensor systems that exist are getting cheap enough, fast enough. It essentially allows a small farmer, a small rancher, to be cost competitive with the big guy. That's what I meant when I said earlier, this form of artificial intelligence and automation democratizes technology in a way that advantages the small player. 
Well, I do know that being in the cattle business, there's a lot of technological advancements in the monitoring of our cattle with almost like monitors that you would put on any other animal that tracks them. And now we're able to put them on each one of our cattle to find out not only where they're at, but it will even report on their heart rate. We will know if they're stressed. And Exactly. But you know what? We still have to get on a horse and go out and get them. So it doesn't get any lower tech than that. No, it doesn't. But isn't it nice, though, if you have the product the soldiers now have, it gets cheap enough for you, that in your saddlebag on your horse, you might have, uh, uh, you know, three or four uh, uh, micro drones, palm-sized drones, that when you want to go out and see how the cattle are doing that you're, you want to round up, uh, you can toss them in the air and they will give you an advanced view of where they are. You can see the terrain uh, better. I mean, all that kind of feature is what militaries developed. Uh, it just, you'll still be on the horse and you'll still use a horse, but you'll have this other additional technology that will allow you to be more effective and in many respects safer. We're talking with Mark Mills, the author of Work in the Age of Robots. So, folks, your jobs really aren't so much in jeopardy, especially if you are the entrepreneur and you're listening to this program for the tips, tools, and techniques. Understand that it's opportunity that's in front of you with the advancement of technology. Sit back, look at your situation, understand what the challenges are, and then see how you can address them. And if you've got an idea, widget, gadget, or gadget, well, get in touch with Business Soup Talk Radio because we help you through our website and our network get your idea from between your ears onto paper, into product, and distribution. Because you know what? Distribution is the most important part of any business. Without it, you've got nothing. Mark, in conclusion... As to some of the prognostications, and my favorite is from Elon Musk talking about how the robots are going to take over, just how realistic is that? Or is Elon using his uh, sense of humor to uh, to tease us even more? Well, first, let me stipulate. Elon Musk is one of the entrepreneurs I admire because he's doing something few take on. He's taken on hardware. Yes. Like cars, spaceships, batteries. This is tough domain. Most entrepreneurs are taking on, in Silicon Valley, software and apps for gaming. That's nice and it's fun, but it isn't very hard. What he's doing is admirable. And he certainly has a penchant for the hyperbole. Um, I don't know what's in his head when he says things that he said about uh, robots taking away all the jobs. Maybe this is what he's thinking. And I don't know the man. And uh, and I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm a physicist. So I can't pretend <laughs> to be one. Let me suggest he's saying something which, or extrapolating on something which is true. You know, the Luddites, which is the most famous example of opposition to automation that's in the literature we all see is in school. The Luddites were right, right? They lost their jobs. They lost their jobs. The automated loom took away the job of the manual weaver. And Eli Whitney took away the jobs of hand cotton pickers. So the specific claim that automation eliminates jobs is true. It does eliminate a specific job. But as we've discussed and most people recognize, it creates net more jobs it has for hundreds of years. The claim that Elon Musk seems to be making is that the robots are going to get so good that there won't be net new jobs. It's sort of odd. Uh, I don't know why I say that. But even even if there were no jobs in manufacturing, let's say, they all was all robots, there'd still be jobs to do something else. And let's say that something else was just entertainment. The entertainment industry itself involves 
manufacturing stuff, but operating stuff, servicing stuff. People make a lot of money in entertainment. As I mentioned earlier, it's become an industry that's more than a trillion dollars of uh, economic activity, entertaining people. There's nothing wrong with entertaining people. Healthcare is an enormous industry, which will be very hands-on for a long time. There's nothing wrong with healthcare becoming a major employer. Rather than worrying about it being a major part of the economy, it's a wonderful thing that's becoming a major part of the economy. That's a gift of a wealthy economy. And it'll employ lots of people. And they won't all be doctors. They'll be doing all kinds of things relating to the technologies that make keeping us healthy easier and better. Well, I happen to be one of those as well that admires Elon's mind. And I also enjoy his sense of humor. Launching his roadster (laughs) into space with a a spaceman in it. And that was great. That was just spectacular. Mark, I want to thank you for joining us on this Serving of Business Soup. Mark Mills, Work in the Age of Robots, available on Amazon. And if you'd like one, give us a a shout out to bizsoup.com. Get the five points of a successful business. The idea, the plan, the people, the execution, and the solution. Take away any one of those and your business will fail. You can get that at bizsoup.com. B-I-Z-S-O-U-P dot com. Mark, thanks for joining us on this serving of Business Soup. My pleasure. Thank you. This has been another serving of Business Soup, where business comes for business. I'm John Debevoise, inviting you to visit the website for more servings of what is best in business. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.